Hello and welcome to the podcast, A Voice for the Hurting. This is season three, a season dedicated entirely to stories of how God is faithful through the roughest times in our lives. I truly believe that we can gain in faith and hope through other people's stories and testimonies. So pull up a chair, listen closely, and be encouraged by today's story. So today it is my pleasure to introduce Evelyn Lighty, who is coming today to talk to us about how she's seen God faithfulness in her life. Evelyn is an author, a counselor, and she's going to share with us some wonderful, wonderful things. So hello, Miss Evelyn. Hi, Lori. Really nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you too. So tell me a little bit about your story. I started writing books back in the 1980s. And the very first book I wrote was because I was married to an alcoholic who was also a batterer. Yes. And I was working for the state of South Dakota. And my job involved working with a lot of people who didn't understand alcoholism. And I was supposed to teach them how to recognize an alcoholic, which is really simple if you know how. Uh, But a lot of people don't. And part of that was because of the level of denial that goes on in our country. Yes. I mean, if you turn on a TV, you see people drinking and every time they have a problem, they sit down with drink. Yep. So it's the most normal thing in the world, but it doesn't help. Right. So my first book was about what it feels like to live with an alcoholic abuser. And that came in answer to a lot of people's questions. And I found they were asking me questions and they'd keep me pinned up for hours to answer the questions. I thought, all right, I'll write this book and then I can just hand it to them. Yeah. Um, And Hazelden, which is a famous treatment center here in Minnesota, actually published it. Wonderful. That's the only publisher I sent it to, and they jumped on it because no one had ever written anything like that before. Kind of like what you want to do. Yeah. And so then in the process of doing all this, I discovered that I myself was an alcoholic. Oh. And that discovery came as a real shock because I grew up with a father who was an alcoholic, and his drinking was very different from mine. Mm-hmm. My drinking would take place like maybe it was called binge drinking. So I could go for weeks, I could go for months. But once I picked up that first drink, I couldn't stop. And that is the first sign of an alcoholic. Yes. And then the other sign is not only can I not stop, I always drink to drunkenness. Okay. Yes. So that's the, a second sign of an alcoholic. Yeah. And a lot of times, I could control my drinking, but it was really hard to be around when that happened because yeah. it, it was alcohol is a brain disease and it affects you. Yes. So anyway, <laughs> I re- I've written several pamphlets and several books that are no longer in print. One was when daddy's a drunk, what do you tell the children? Oh. Uh, another one was different like me for teenagers. Uh, another one was how it feels to be the spouse of an alcoholic and be an Al-Anon. So I've written several of those. Many of those are not in print anymore, but I decided to write my memoir, which is the one I sent you just fine. Thank you. 
Yes. And Just Fine Thank You is based in the 40s and the 50s. And it was a story of me as a farm girl living out in the country. And we had no running water, no electricity, no bathroom. It wasn't all bad. I mean, some of it was really fun. As you'll see when you read my book, we did have some really good times. Hmm. Well, and when you're going through that, like, especially the things like no running water and stuff like that, that's normal every day for you. So you probably didn't even second guess it when you were going through it. Well, we lived (laughs) in the country, but my town cousins had water and bathrooms. So I did kind of question it. But the thing is, back then they didn't have REA in the country. Yes. Okay. So that was something new in the early 50s and late 40s. Okay. So then, um, so my purpose in writing that was not only to show history, what it was like back then, because a lot of people enjoy history and they enjoy books that have, that tell them about the history of the author and where they came from. So that was one thing. But the other thing is a lot of teachers and people who work with kids all the time do not understand how kids are affected in homes where things are so complicated and and it's hard to understand what's going on, and especially no one explains it to you. Yes. So my parents were of the no talk rule. Don't talk, don't think, don't feel. Yep. And so that's how we grew up with wanting to be able to know what was going on, but not able to ask. Yeah. Or getting punished for asking. And it, I didn't realize what my father's issue was. I knew that he drank, but back in those days, you would never call anybody an alcoholic who actually had a job in a family and drove a car. Right. Alcoholics back in those days were in the gutter with a brown paper bag. They weren't people that went to work every day or, you know, did things. Yeah. Could function from day to day. Yeah. Yes. So then I did the first one. Well, then it just kind of led into the second one, which was as a teenager, I was really wild and incorrigible. And a lot of that was because I didn't know what to do with my emotions. I didn't know who to turn to for help and support. And all of this time, I'm blaming God. Yes. This is God's fault. And part of that is because in my first book, when I was seven years old, my father told me, if you fight with your brothers, and I had five of them. God will come and take one of them away from you. Oh, how terrible to tell a child that. Well, and so I was in this constant power struggle with God, trying to protect everybody I loved from him. Right. And then also I went to a Hellfire Brimstone Methodist Church. And and in church, they showed a lot of things I don't believe they would show children now. Yeah. One of the things I saw was when Jesus or God told Abraham to take his 12 year old son to the mountain, tie him up and use him as a sacrifice. Yeah. So that was pretty graphic. And I was little six, seven years old. Wow. I am watching this and I developed this horrible fear of knives. And I make sure all the knives are in the drawers and everything is put away. And I'm still terrified if I see a knife laying out on the table. Right. And so that's in my book also, but that's actually in the book I'm writing right now. I'm on my fourth 
book and I'm not finished with that one yet. Yeah. So then as a teenager, um, I totally blame God for everything and there was no redemption. I went to church, but I didn't believe anything that they said and I didn't try. And then by the book I wrote about being a battered wife, I definitely believed that if there was a God, he'd take him out. Right. And I prayed that he'd take him out. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't have to deal with it. Yes. That didn't happen. Yeah. So, so then the book I'm writing now, the fourth book, is my path to the discovery that God does exist. He does love me. Yes. He was with me all the time. And, it, and he, God talked to me a lot. Mm-hmm. I heard voices and I heard God and I heard things that he said. But and for example, one thing he said when I was writing my book about being a battered wife, I was driving my car, I pulled up my driveway and, and I heard this voice clearly and loudly. And it said, if you would just stop being so mad at me all the time, maybe we could get somewhere. Uh, right? Yeah. And I knew that was God. Yeah. And he was talking to me, but I was beyond the pale. I was so bitter. Yeah. That's one thing that I learned in my own life. So I actually struggled with avoiding anger because I saw it being so misused in most of my life. And so I refused to feel it. And then when I finally went through counseling and realized that anger was a normal emotion, (laughs) I, I didn't know how to not be angry at God. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he had allowed a lot of things to happen in my life, um, including, you know, abuse and a divorce and my house to be broken into and, you know, like a bunch of things that I could keep going on about. And right. And I, I had to wrestle with that because it's okay to be angry, but you can't stay there, no. you know, because God can handle our anger. You know, it's okay. Um, anger is a secondary emotion. Yes. Yeah. Can you describe what that means? Because that's actually something I learned in counseling also. Can you tell what hurt? Hurt is underneath all anger or fear. Yes. The thing that was different about our home, it was, it was okay to be angry. We could stomp and storm and be as angry as we wanted to, but we couldn't cry. We couldn't feel bad and we could hurt. So if you can't hurt, all the anger has got to come out somewhere. Right. And my mother was a staunch codependent. She didn't drink. She didn't smoke. And she actually was a wonderful mother, but she had one child after another. And so she had no time on her hands to really pay a lot of attention to us. And not only that, she was an English woman. Yeah. And English are very reserved and in her family, all of her sisters, they were all very reserved. They didn't hug their children or celebrate their children because that just wasn't done. Right. Yeah. It wasn't culturally acceptable, right? No. It just, yeah. I would like to think England's different now, but <laughs> back then, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> back then, her ancestors all came from England and they all had this very reserved kind of standoffish behavior. My dad, on the other hand, I was crazy about him, even though as his drinking went on, he got more and more verbally abusive. He wasn't physically abusive. 
he would say mean, hurtful things, but that didn't start until later. Um, and when I was a child, he was really loving. Drunk or sober, he was loving. Yeah. So I worshiped him for a while. Yeah. Which is wrong. You should worship God. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had that. the opposite. So I put my mom on a pedestal and kind of worshiped her for a while. And I felt, I think I, I put her way higher than she needed to be. <laughs> uh-huh. And I put my dad way lower than he needed to be. And um, that was another thing counseling helped me with. Like, I tell you what, finding a wonderful counselor, someone who is biblically sound and, and really connects with you is very important because um, that helped me to see that, like, you can't have either person too high and too low because no one's perfect. No one's, no one's worthy of being worshiped, but God. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else, like who we're blaming and angry with and who's hurt us, they're human. They've hurt us because they're hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. and not that that takes away the blame because it doesn't, but it helps us to even out that gap where we see them so vastly different from one another. Mm -hmm. Well, my mother was crazy about my father also. Yeah. She was until the day he died, even as his drinking progressed and got worse. So it was because she had no clue what to do or or even what the problem was. Right. And once after I found out what the problem was and I be I came in the field as an addictions counselor and a mental health counselor, I took my mother to hear Father Martin, who was a a real guru uh, in the beginnings of understanding alcohol, how it affects the brain, how it affects the family. Yeah. I took her to this hour and a half lecture by Father Martin on how alcoholism affects the family. And he gave this wonderful talk. And on our way out the door, I said, oh, mother, wasn't that awesome? And she said, well, it might be all right if you had an alcoholic in your family. So she didn't even apply it to her own life at all. No, no, she didn't think it fit her or anybody she knew. That's, that's interesting as I feel like I've seen that play out quite a few times, both in my life and in in people around me. Um, It's like you almost, you have to be ready to hear something. Well, and if you're not, nope. yeah, yeah. If you're not ready, then you, you don't even realize it's you. That's, that's what you call denial. Right. Yes. So gosh, now my, my mind's going in like four different directions. Well, just share. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so I guess I'm wondering, like, at what point was it that your mother, like, did she ever recognize that anything like, because uh, is she still living? No, she died 30 years ago. Okay. Did she ever come to grips with the fact that that was reality? No. Okay. I know sometimes, yeah. Well, of course, she was of the generation that doesn't speak ill of the dead. Yes. And to, you know, say that after he's gone would be refuting. We had lots of rules in our family. Yes. <laughs> one of those rules is you don't speak ill of the dead. That's the generation she belonged to. Now, how did you come to grips with then? Um, did you try to confront her ever about that? Or did you just leave it lay no. and accept that she didn't understand? After the event with Father Martin, where she said it might be okay if you had an alcoholic in your family, 
I gave up. Did you? Yeah. I did. It's like, I am not going to try to make her understand. Right. Because it would be like banging my head against a wall and it would hurt her. And right. I definitely did not want to hurt her. So yeah. I just um, totally did never mention it again. Yeah. That's a, I, I understand that. <laughs> I really do. Cause that's, that's the thing. You can't force someone to see reality. No. And it's right. I, it's just going to create yeah. issues. Yes, exactly. And sometimes I've, I'm a big peacemaker <laughs> and sometimes that's gotten me in trouble because that's, that has caused me to be a people pleaser because mm-hmm. I want peace. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? But there's, there are times when it is a good idea to stand up and say something. And there are times when it's not. And I feel like, like that, like knowing when to stand up for things is important. But again, there, it's not always, there isn't always a time to stand up. And I think that that's one of the things that, uh, that this generation and some of the people on the far left and far right, <laughs> they, they all think they need to stand up and beat everybody over the head and with whatever that is they're arguing for the day, you know, and nobody wants to be peaceful. You know what I mean? No one wants to have a center, um, a center ground where you don't have to argue. <laughs> I believe that's because they've taken God out of everything. They've taken God out of our schools. They've taken prayer out of our schools. When I went to grade school, we read the Bible in the morning before we started school. That's wonderful. And of course, it was a country school. But nevertheless, they can't do that anymore. And I think people are they're not connected to God or to anything meaningful. And a lot of people would argue with me about that. But in my profession, in my 35 years of counseling, I have been able to help the people who would look to a spiritual source and the people who refuse to look to a spiritual force, get drunk again, use drugs again, or do something. They're not... It's like, I honestly believe that all of us who have grown up in dysfunctional homes have a great big hole in our gut. Yes. And that hole can only be filled by a spiritual means. It can't be filled by alcohol. It can't be filled by drugs. It can't be filled by money. It can't be filled by another relationship. It can only be filled by a spiritual means. Yeah. That's funny though, is we have to we we seek to fill it you know what i mean oh we do we try everything yeah because we feel that hole Mm -hmm. but you're right nothing will fill it except for god that's what i believe i believe it too awesome so i mean that can bring us really good to me in terms of giving me opportunities yeah he has given me opportunities to spend time with some of the world's most famous therapists I mean, most of them are gone now um, because I'm that old, (laughs) but I got to study with them. Yeah. I got to study with Virginia Satir and Salvador Mnuchin and people that aren't in practice anymore. And then a lot of people even haven't heard of. I got to go to Father Martin, even got to spend time with him individually. And you can find him on YouTube and he explains alcoholism and what it does to the family in on YouTube in a really, really good way. Yeah. And, and I got to spend time with those people. Yeah. That's wonderful. So I'm really 
God really has blessed me in so many ways. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, did you have any scripture that helped you specifically through these times or that you recommend to people when you're counseling them? Not particularly. Um, I have a lot of, it depends on what they're talking about. I might look up something special. But just earlier today, I was telling a client who feels very depressed and anxious, go to the scripture, trust God with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Yes. And I use that a lot for myself because a lot of times I have trouble trusting that yeah. everything is going to turn out well. And right. so when I, when I catch myself having trouble trusting, that's what I say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And actually I've been struggling with that a little bit myself. There's some things that like God, God's been promising me for a while that he's going to restore my life. Mm -hmm. And I've slowly been watching it happen. And for some reason, no matter how much he does, I still end up doubting what he said. Yep. <laughs> and I've, I'm like, thank you, God, that you didn't tell Thomas, you know, that because he had to see that you, he was not welcome in heaven. You know what I mean? He never said that. No, he didn't. He yeah. said, watch the holes. That's right. And prove for yourself. And, you know, we just were talking about fleeces in Bible study the other night and how God wants you to ask for a fleece. Yes. He wants you to say, prove it to me, show me, send me a sign. Yes. I can't tell you how many times he sent me a sign and I've ignored it. Right. <laughs> or like, it's like, okay, now send me another one. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, that, like, I want another sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So just in case um, some of my audience isn't familiar with the story of the fleeces, can you explain that? You know, I don't know where it is in the Bible, but there was an unbeliever who said to God, if this is really you and you really want me to do this, let me wake up in the morning and find a fleece of lamb's wool. And he woke up the next morning and found the fleece. And I honestly don't know if that only happened once because they say with me, sometimes I'm going to ask three times just to yeah. make sure it's him. But that's what the fleece is about. Yeah. And God really does speak to us. And if we ask to see him and to have his wisdom, he will give that to us, even if we're stubborn when we get it. <laughs> well, yeah. even if we don't recognize, I don't always recognize until later. Yes, I can, later, I can say, oh, that was you. Yeah, that's true. But we do need to be careful because in the past, I've been misled by a voice that wasn't God. Yes. And we have to know what voice is God's and what voice is not. And do I you, have been misled by that. Yes. Do you think that, is there a way that you could recommend to try to know if it's God's voice that you're hearing? I surround myself in the light and I say out loud, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Yeah. And if that is not God's voice, it will leave because it will be afraid. That's right. Yeah. That was one thing that one of my favorite Bible teachers taught is because it says in the, and I don't remember where, <laughs> but it says to test the spirits mm -hmm. because, and that's exactly it. If, if it is from God, then it will withstand the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if it is not, then it won't. It won't. Yeah. It will, it will flee. So tell me then, how did you see God like weave throughout that 
all of your story? Like, how did he show his faithfulness to you? Well, as I say, he made it possible for me to meet many, many people who were who were very successful in their careers, who gave me a hand up, helped me. And the thing that was really hard for me was I always thought growing up that there was something terribly wrong with me, that I was flawed and that I would be eternally flawed. And I had to work really, really hard to get God's approval. Yeah. And I was never going to heaven. I knew that. Yeah. Uh, Because I had committed the unpardonable sin, not just one, but several of them. So when I went to treatment for alcoholism and came back home, I was lucky enough to have a minister placed in my life. Yeah that I worked with, he was like a spiritual mentor. And I worked with him for two years. And he went through all the promises that God made to us. Well, that helped, but it wasn't the answer. Yeah, but it helped. And then, um, because I'm still thinking I'm flawed. Right. I mean, now I know God isn't causing all my problems, but I still think I am that I'm the that I am flawed. So as I am working, God makes it possible for me to get some trauma therapy, uh, which I now do and have been doing for 20 years. And this trauma therapy then moved me another inch closer to God and to believing that he cared for me. And it's just, he put things in my life at the right time that kept me going, kept me motivated. I would be broke, absolutely stone broke, and not have enough gas to get to work and there would be money in the mail. Yes. And once I was so broke, and all of a sudden I get a royalty check from my first book that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And he does things like that. So that, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced, but I am not totally convinced yet. Yeah. Because I still think I have to earn my way. So at one point in my life, I decided, okay, I want to know who this Jesus is. So I set my alarm and I got up an hour earlier every day and I studied the New Testament. Wonderful. Studying, trying to figure out who is Jesus. What does he want? And as I'm studying him, I'm realizing he doesn't put up with any nonsense. He doesn't put up with people telling him that he's no good. He doesn't put up with all this stuff that that I find myself putting up with a lot of times. And so that got me closer. But this is a long process. This is not overnight. This is a journey. Yeah. And, you know, there's all of the people I work with or for the most part, most of the people I work with have that big hole in their gut and they don't feel whole. They feel flawed and they feel flawed because nobody ever told them they weren't. Yeah. And sometimes people flat out told them that they were and Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the messages that you get from your parents and your teachers. I had one teacher who abused me, not physically, but emotionally. I sat in school for a whole year without a recess. Really? All the other kids got to go out to play. I didn't. Did they give you a reason? Because I wasn't doing my work. That's what she said. Right. But see, it never even occurred to me to tell my mother. Right. Because we didn't go home and tell our mothers things in those days. Yeah. And your mother probably didn't ask either. No, 
No, yeah. she didn't. I mean, it was a different time and a different day. And more, more or less, if you got in trouble as a teacher, you'd be in more trouble when you got home. Right. So when you became a counselor, this is one of the other thoughts that was popping around in my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what made you choose counseling as a profession? Was it because of your experience with your dad and the alcoholism and stuff? No, I believe that um, I was meant to be a counselor. I really, when I got, when I got away from my abusive husband and was able to go to college, yeah. the thing I wanted to do most was help children. Yeah. That's what I wanted to help kids like me and actually kids like my husband, who was the abuser, because at some level I knew he was mentally ill and needed help. Yes. And my belief was if we could catch these kids when they're little, so that was, that was my goal. Well, then I found out that school counselors really don't get to counsel. Right. Not and true counseling. Yeah. They don't get to counsel. They just get to do what the politicians tell them to do. Yeah. So I decided to become a regular counselor. And I actually, I worked in treatment centers for 15 years and I worked in uh, mental health centers and and then I went on to get my master's degree, which was another God story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, and I actually really believe that God gave me all these experiences because there is almost nothing a client can tell me that yeah. I haven't experienced myself. Right. Yeah. So when we were talking beforehand and I was telling you my story, you're probably like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes a big difference. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And that's, that's honestly, when I started my podcast, that's one of the things that I really wanted to accomplish is letting people know they're not alone, yeah. getting people's stories more out there. Because like when, like in the Bible, it says that one of the many reasons, because God, God has his reasons and we don't understand them all. But one of the things is when we go through something and we're comforted, then we can show people the comfort that we've received. And we can comfort in return. Yes, exactly. So that's exactly what I'm hoping for this podcast, you know, is that people will listen and be comforted. I know they're not alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I write my books. Yeah. I've written one you're not aware of, I don't think, but it's called women what do we want no i'm not aware of that one tell me about it i wrote this in response to my women clients who um didn't know a lot of how to respond to abusive men or even be able to tell if they were being abused it's also a response to the younger women who didn't have uh, benefit of people who taught them how to care for themselves, how to take care of themselves. I mean, I know of many children, some even in my own family that were thrown into bed with their clothes and their shoes on. Yeah. So you grow up like that and you don't know clean sheets and clean pajamas and baths. I mean, there are people who don't know what that stuff is. Right. So in my book, uh, Women, What Do We Want? It in its three sections. One is 
for women on how to value themselves and how to take care of themselves. And the other section is for men. Yeah. On how to charm women. I don't mean charm. I mean, be charming and yeah. respectful and kind because there's yeah. a lot of men who don't know how to do that. Right. And the third section is a collection of women's stories. Yeah. And I interviewed many women, but I ended up with 10 stories. And my favorite story in that is of a homeless woman who um, her alcoholic husband threw her out of the house. Yeah. And she was homeless for 10 years and didn't know, didn't know what was available or how to take care of herself. And, and it's a, it's a heart-wrenching story, but she survived and I met her at our church and that's how I came to interview her and write her story. Wow. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. She was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and God brings people to our into our lives in amazing ways. Oh, he does. Yeah. He absolutely does. And he sends you the people you need at the moment. Right. Even though it's sometimes it's hard to see. <laughs> it is sometimes. Again, till afterwards, and you're like, oh, that was right at the perfect moment. That was a God thing. <laughs> yep. I do think that the closer you get to God, the more likely you are to recognize God moments but it's still not necessarily easy to recognize. (laughs) Well, it is, I think, the more you know God and trust his love, the easier it is to recognize that he is nearby and he does hear you. And maybe he doesn't move as fast as you want him to. Yeah. He does move. Amen. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to say to my audience? I would like to say uh, that my mother was very God-loving. She was very spiritual. And I think that's what kept her sanity. Yeah. Being married to an alcoholic and having six children under 12. Yeah. And I mean, some of us were only 18 months apart. Wow. And she's out there with no electricity, no bathroom, well water. And she kept her sanity and right up until her last day, she loved God. And she talked about that. And so I feel really blessed, even though I hated him. I'm really blessed that she loved him because she didn't lead me down a path of he's not worth believing in. She believed very strongly And it just took me a while to get there. Yeah, I really feel honestly too. So I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old and a one-year-old. And (laughs) I've been praying a lot about how I can best like represent God to them. Like, because not that I'm God. That's, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But just that because- That's how they see him. Yes, right. They they experience God's love through us. Yep. And when they see us believe, And when they see us have faith and when they hear that we're praying to God and that we're, you know, asking God questions and, you know, putting our faith in God, then that our children learn that even if they'll walk away at some point and choose to do that, Mm -hmm. I think that's where it says in the Bible that, you know, if you raise them a child in the way it should go, then when they're older, they won't depart from it. They'll learn that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because it was real to us. I agree. 
So that's, that's one of my prayers right now is that my children will see that God is real to me. You know, if I had my children to raise over again, yeah, I would pray with them more. Yeah. I, I, they said bedtime prayers and we said prayers before meals, but it was kind of an empty gesture. Yeah. If I could do it over again, I would pray with them a lot more. I'm going to take that to heart, you know, because <laughs> I feel like, like, oh, well, my one-year-old, I, I prayed over him, but I haven't really prayed with him yet. Mm-hmm. And my 10-year-old, most of our prayers are, are a little more basic mm-hmm. and she's, she's understanding so much more. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to take that seriously because she's not a little kid anymore. You know, she doesn't need the and understand that her mother is praying with her. Right. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That's um, not original with me. I got that from Charles Stanley. Did you? <laughs> I absolutely have on a pedestal. Yeah, uh, yeah, that right. man helped me through so many problems. <laughs> I would turn on his TV show and he would be talking about just the thing that was bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Is. Yeah. I, I've listened to a lot of Christian radio in our area and we have Moody radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where all they broadcast to because they're out of Chicago and I'm in Ohio, but um, the pastors on there have just same thing. Like they have had so many sermons that have seen me through times that were exactly what I needed to hear. Like you said, and like, even when I was, you know, maybe making decisions I shouldn't have been making Mm -hmm. and God reaches out to you, Mm -hmm. you know, he gives you what you need. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you don't know you need it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. One last question then, and then we'll wrap it up for the day. But uh, your current book, do you have a potential release date yet or not yet? I'm hoping to have it out by December. Okay. So if anybody's listening, hopefully we'll look for that a little later this year. Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I would uh, like to leave my website if I may. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What is your website? www.evelynlighty.com. Great. I'll put that in the description below the podcast as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Is there anywhere else that they can find you? They can find me um, on Amazon if they're, uh, all of my books are on Amazon. Wonderful. I'm also have several things on YouTube. Do you? Okay. I'll have to look that up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so very much for talking to me and my audience today. Thank you, Lori. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Voice for the Hurting. You can find information on today's guest in the description below, plus links to follow A Voice for the Hurting on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next week for more inspiring stories to strengthen you on your journey.